fancy. Ooh, I made it through the costume change. So that's good. Good morning. It is so awesome to be back here with you guys. My name is Elaine Filter, and I've been coming to Fellowship of Faith for about three years. And you may have recognized me because I had the honor of leading you guys in worship for a few of those years. But I've not been on stage for a couple of months because I moved to Africa. And I'm going to only go on one tangent today, and that is to say hello to those of you who are joining us on Facebook. Um, That's the way that I get to worship with you guys when I'm in Africa, but sometimes I feel like a creeper staring through a window. So I just want to say hi. We're glad you're here to those who are on Facebook. Um, You know, apparently, it's kind of weird for a white girl from McHenry County to sell everything and move to Africa. Uh, What makes anybody do that? And I used to have this picture of missionaries as these super godly people who led these really pure lives and they were more pious and incredibly sacrificial. I'm not really one to bury the lead. So let me tell you, I am not more godly or more pure or more sacrificial because I really don't like sacrificing anything and I will miss TJ Maxx desperately. Probably also my friends too, okay? I know that you've been told that you're gonna hear about my ministry in Africa and I am gonna touch on that a little bit. But Dave actually asked me to share with you my own journey that led me to say yes to the call to Africa when it came. So to do that, uh, we're going to have to go back a ways. So I was born. Don't worry. It's... It moves, don't worry. But I was born uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, born and raised. I'm the only daughter, I'm the baby of the family. I was brought to the waters of baptism at less than a month old, and I was really blessed to be raised by parents who gave me a legacy of faith, who practiced their faith, still do, and they taught me and encouraged me to do the same. Growing up, we weren't close to my mom's family. My dad's family lived really far away. Um, The closest uncle that I had on my dad's side lived in Oklahoma City, which is about six hours away. My uncle had married a woman who had adopted a son in a previous marriage who was several years older than I. And this boy, my cousin by law, was what you would call troubled. Um, maybe because of his abandonment issues from his biological parents and then his adopted father. I don't really know, but our parents thought that spending time with normal kids might help to straighten him out. So despite the distance, we spent a lot of time in Oklahoma City growing up. I can only guess that I was about five years old from my earliest memories of the sexual abuse at my cousin's hand. I know that I was still terrified of him at 12 when he went to prison for some other crime that actually got reported. Of all the insidious wounds inflicted by sexual abuse, the most damaging for me came in the form of a core belief that developed as a result of these experiences, and that was that God was good, but I wasn't. I must not be worthy of protection. I must not be worthy of being seen or being saved because I was sexually abused and raped for years and nobody saw me and nobody saved me. A second 
powerful consequence was my ability to live in denial. I could, and I still can if I'm not careful, I could create a reality in my head where everything was fine, and if it wasn't, then I could fix it by control or manipulation. So I began this life as a very little girl of trying to earn my worth. And it looked like basic codependence. My self-esteem was directly related to accolades and caregiving. And as a natural singer and performer and nurturer, Satan took gifts that God has given me and twisted them to keep me a prisoner of this lie that God is good, but I must not be. And I developed this really legalistic worldview whereby I could declare myself pure as long as I followed the rules that I created. So basically, I was a normal sinful teenager, but I didn't have sex, and I wasn't going to, would not, until I got married. And this became my first commandment above all others. And as long as I didn't break it, maybe God couldn't love me, but I could have worth in my own eyes and in the eyes of those around me, and I could be okay. It was also early in my life that my love for all things African developed. And there's no other way to describe why a little girl from McHenry County or Little Rock, Arkansas would fall in love with Africa, except that God put that love there. The music, the drumbeat and dancing and the people and the relational culture, I just, it captivated me. In college, I volunteered for an organization that's still around, it's called Invisible Children. And they, at that time, were focused solely on ending the use of and rehabilitating children soldiers in the Sudan. It absolutely revolts me that people would kidnap children, purposely addict them to drugs like cocaine and heroin in order to turn them into mass murderers. I was disgusted that the most vulnerable and deserving among us of protection and nurturing were being exploited this way. So in college, I led vigils that educated and convicted, and I felt this stir in me to do something. And so I added an ESL certification, which is English as a second language, to an already double major. My dad loved that phone call. I was so convicted to speak for these unseen children because that's how I felt. I fully prepared to move to Africa to teach English as a second language after college, but then I met George I. Okay, some of you know that I was a high school teacher at, Crystal, uh, at Faith Lutheran High School in Crystal Lake for seven years. I love teaching. I love teaching high schoolers, actually. It's an honor to walk with them through some of the most emotional and confusing but exciting years during those high school years. In order to share some of my life experience but still have some personal boundaries, I nicknamed all of my serious boyfriends George. Okay, I'm a, I'm a history teacher, so that's how that came about. All right, so these are not their real names. George the first uh, was exciting and older and a recovering drug addict, which is like catnip for a codependent. I gave up my dream of Africa so quickly for him that I was ashamed to go back to it after our engagement fell through. I literally remember thinking it can't have meant that much to me if I was willing to give it up so quickly. 
George II had also been sexually abused and had also not yet done any healing in that area of his life, and our wounds combined, bad news. Super bad news. So by the end of college, I'd adopted the mantra, I would rather be alone than with the wrong man. And a very wise woman told me very gently that that is an easy mantra for a 22-year-old. My first year here in McHenry County was probably the hardest of my life. I didn't know anyone. And I frequently had the morbid thought that if I went home on Friday after school and fell in the shower, I don't even shower at night, but this was my thought, okay? If I fell in the shower on Friday night, nobody would even start looking for me until I didn't show up to work on Monday. Year two was better. I got a dog, I started running, I lost 85 pounds, and I felt like things were going well and I was ready to meet someone special or just anyone, dear God, please. And I went on a few dates with a guy, super nice. This is gonna sound really shallow, but he was missing a tooth, and it was in the front. Uh, so the night that I met George III, my girlfriend elbowed me and said, he has all his teeth. <laughs> George III was wonderful. Uh, we fell in love, and it wasn't easy. He was different, um, and we were very different. He wasn't a believer, but he began coming to church with me. We went through a lot of really hard things together, and I saw the Holy Spirit start to open his heart to Jesus, and I thought that this was my miracle. George III was an alcoholic. This isn't a slur on his character. This is me living in reality, one that I had to face after my life spiraled out of control. Family and friends of alcoholics say frequently that alcoholism is a family disease because it affects everyone. I allowed it to make me even more controlling and fearful and manipulative than my childhood abuse had already predisposed me to being. My denial kept me frozen. I was afraid to be alone again. My work suffered. I let relationships deteriorate. And honestly, I couldn't even hold a conversation with somebody else. My brain was a constant hamster wheel all day long, all night long of, did he get out of bed today? Did he make it to work? Did he take his meds? Is he drinking right now? Is his phone gonna be on when I call him? It was craziness. I did everything I could to make him better, right? Because I'm fixing and I'm controlling. And finally I decided that even though we weren't married, we were still going to be, and so maybe if I gave him all of me, that it would make things better. And it still took us seven hellish months to break up. So there I was. 29 years old, I'd broken the one rule that I cared about, and now I was as worthless as I'd been trying to prove that I wasn't. And it was a beautiful place to be. There is nothing, nothing like feeling that forgiveness for the one thing you thought you wouldn't do. Make no mistake, this was my arbitrary line in the sand. This was me making something else besides the first commandment, the first commandment. God had always seen who I was, but now it was time for me to see who he was because he had my attention. And again, this is going to sound silly, maybe, but I saw him really clearly during a massage that I gifted myself for my 30th birthday. 
At this point, I was attending therapy, I was going to a support group for friends and families of alcoholics, and I was trying to rebuild my life by jackhammering away the rotten foundation. And I was nervous to get a massage because I knew it would be a lot of quiet time and I would be alone with my thoughts. And I already knew and had discovered that on the inside, I lived behind this huge brick wall. It was meant to protect a five-year-old girl from what she was going through, but as an adult, it had led me to hurting myself and hurting others. There was no room for anyone else behind this wall, especially not God. And that's where my mind and my heart was during this massage when I hear Jesus say my name. And then he softly and gently says, I see you. Oh, I, I viscerally remember what that felt like. And I ran to that wall and I made sure there was no way he could get in. I was terrified. But he didn't try to force past my protection or rip down this wall. He just stayed right there on the periphery, there, being there with me. Two months later, I was amazed to find that that wall was gone. Jesus had helped me take it down, slowly, one brick at a time. I learned something so important about that core belief that I had built my identity upon. The truth is, God is good, and apart from Christ, I am bad. It's true no matter what moral code you hold me up against, but my good news in Christ is that I'm a new creation with a freely given identity as a beloved daughter of the king. I thought that God was good but unmoved by my wounds. Like he saw all the bad things that were going on in the world, but he remained stoic in the face of them. I know now that Jesus was right there with me, not idly watching, but weeping and furious and breaking and unconsolable on my behalf, wounded with me and for me, and that is how he feels towards all of his children. There was a lot of stuff behind that wall, and it may have hurt more taking it down than it did going up. I spent a whole summer crying on my front porch with my Bible, working it out. And I'm pretty sure my neighbors got a little nervous when I took vacation and they didn't see me out there. And it was on that front porch in the middle of this massive healing that God asked me to go to Africa. By this point, I'd already joined the Kenya ministry team here at FOF and had signed up for a short-term trip with Oasis for Orphans, who are our mission partners in Kenya. And when I heard Lynn Muffelman promote the ministry team, it was like something woke up inside of me and stretched, and I thought, I used to love Africa. So when God asked me to go, I sarcastically touted back, I am going next month for two weeks. Like, don't you know me? Where have you been? His reply? was immediate. No, I want you to sell everything, and I want you to move there. I was stunned. I didn't want this to be about me trying to earn my worthiness. I didn't want this to be about me having failed, and so now I'm banishing myself to a third world country to do penance. And if I had gone at any other time in my life, that's exactly what my motivation would have been. God waited until I was so aware of my own brokenness and my own need for wholeness in him 
that I wouldn't dream of trying to do this on my own. So I told God, yeah, okay, if you're seriously asking, I'll go, with the caveat that he had to work out all of the logistics that I saw standing in the way, and so many of you have been a part of him doing just that. I was on the ground for the month of June, and I kept asking God, okay, God, what am I doing here? I heard his voice so clearly, and I know that Kenya is where he wants me to be, but how do I fit into this new organization and this new culture? And I'm still figuring out the specifics of what that's gonna look like, but allow me to share one more experience with you. June 24th was a Saturday. Maybe you remember where you were. I was at the shelter orphanage in Magori, Kenya, doing hygiene lessons and also talking to uh, our girls about their bodies and who should be touching them. And I didn't realize that raising 55 kids means 55 age-appropriate periodic sex talks. That was fun. As a part of these talks, I came to personalize the sexual abuse statistics for girls and women in Africa with these little girls that I was getting to know. Time and time again, a history of abuse was softly shared. Some cried and others didn't. One happy, giggly, sassy little six-year-old girl just sat in my lap and a tear rolled down her cheek. And I was honored to get to hug her and to say, I see you, and Jesus sees you, and we love you so much. And if that's all that I'm gonna do there, I think I can let go of TJ Maxx for a few years. <laughs> so, why did I sell everything and move to Africa? Because the God who has been loving me and healing me asked me to go on an adventure with him. There are 2.6 million orphans in Kenya. That's a Chicago of orphans. There's no foster care system. Any sort of child initiative that is happening in Kenya is being done by Westerners coming in and doing it. As an educator, I will play a role, a large role, in coordinating the best educational experiences I can for all of our kids. As a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and relational abuse, I will love these children fiercely, crying with them, angry for them, maybe before they're ready to do that for themselves. Fellowship of Faith is already partnering with Oasis for Orphans and with myself to help fund our mission to rescue and restore every one of these children. And I know that there are more of you here today in whose heart God has placed this call. With your connection cards today, you also got a connection card from me, personally. Um, when you take your time to fill out your connection card, would you fill out that one for me as well? It's perforated, you can keep one for yourself as a prayer reminder, which would be amazing. But I would love to connect with those of you who have a heart for Africa, who have a heart for children, who have a heart for sexual abuse victims, who have a heart and, uh, and get connected with you. <laughs> you saw what I did there, that was good, thanks Amy. Uh, so that you can get the information that you want about this, so that you can do this with me. Right now we're gonna sing a final song today, and it is one that I picked, um, that for me really exemplifies what this experience has been. So I'd ask that you would rise and give us uh, a little bit of patience as I do my second costume change and uh, sing with us.
心。